Hello, my name is Ben. And my name is Cheyenne. And we are the hosts of the Two Vague Podcast this week. Yay! Yay! We're recording podcasts. That sounds like a fun thing to do on a Sunday. It's very constructive. Yes, I think so. And especially when we're talking about platforms. Yes, platform. The construction of a platform. The things that I think of are generally think of politics or political or some sort of a uh, a stance on a thing i think of actual physical platforms right like a it, surface correct and then i also think of computers what what are your mm-hmm. initial thoughts if i say the word platform first thought is definitely going to be a surface or a raised surface mm-hmm. um, or like a stage a platform that you stand on or put things on. Right. Um, but I also think of computer platforms. Okay. I also think of social media accounts intended for a particular ideology or set of beliefs. Oh, okay. That also makes sense. That's kind of a combination of the word, right? Because you've got your computer portion of that, like your programming part, which is a platform, but then it's also a social sort of statement of your beliefs and rules of conduct for your group kind of thing it's both Mm -hmm. is it not yeah i think it's both yeah because i would consider some of your social medias as platforms we think of tiktok we think of instagram and twitter yeah i would are they considered platforms i'm not a coder right yeah but but i would say at some point they've got to be because um you know how does that stuff work in the background it's not working off of all windows machines no we don't know because it's proprietary uh, stuff but i'm guessing it's all homebrew its own custom platform yeah i have the computer definition here okay an arrangement of computer components that uses a particular operating system right so that's referring to like mac or windows correct or linux or but whatever. i think i think like any other word it can apply to things like video games and, of course right so <laughs> the, the whole reason we're here one of the primary reasons we're here i think mm-hmm. i don't know if it's the whole reason yeah it's it's a matter of uh, perspective. I keep on saying the words from other shows, and I feel dirty. I know, I know you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not referencing that. Maybe it's just I like those words. I do. Well, they're good words. I yeah. brought up context earlier about yeah. how platform can mean something in many different contexts. Yeah, and I think context seems to me like a word that you would you would use frequently. I just do because of your chosen field of study. Exactly. The thing I think of is. Uh, platform diving so what is platform diving as opposed to regular diving or off regular of like diving a diving or, board yeah well uh, that's springboard there's springboard and then platform is just the stationary oh so okay. i think that would be the primary difference i did a little bit of research on the origins of diving for the show originally the first modern diving competitions they were called plunging. <laughs> I yeah, like that. Not was, even diving, no, just no, plunging. Just plunging. <laughs> That's just an it image. brings up a really clear image in my head of some person just absolutely careening into a pool of water. I wonder what they got scored on. Maybe like the, the uh, ferocity of the scream. The biggest splash. The biggest splash. There's probably multiple components like uh, auditory component and then uh, a splash component. <laughs> Plunging in the early 1800s in England, where it derives from 
sort of diving at the beginning of a swimming race or something, but it became a thing. There were records in a book by uh, a gentleman named Ralph Thomas that basically trace records, plunging records, (laughs) (laughs) which I guess can only be, I'm guessing it's distance, plunging various amounts of distance. Like heights, Yeah, exactly. A quote-unquote Mr. Young plunged 56 feet in 1870. So there was a basically a book in 1904 that kind of chronicled these these feats in plunging, which I guess led to the English Amateur Swimming Association starting the first plunging championships. <laughs> I like this little fact. The Swimming Association of Great Britain first started plunging championships in 1883. The plunging championships were discontinued in (laughs) 1937. Oh my gosh, that's not a very long time. Yeah, why do you think they were discontinued? Maybe because people came expecting to see people plunging toilets and were disappointed (laughs) by uh, people diving from (laughs) a high place. (laughs) No, no, this is... Dang, damn, I thought this was going to be, you know, resourceful for my job as a plunger, and now I'm just disappointed. Where's where's all the the piping? piping. (laughs) It's like, I don't see any fixtures of any sort of porcelain. No, no, that's not the kind of plunging that we were talking about. From plunging, it basically sort of, I guess, in the early 19th century in Germany and Sweden... There was sort of a a use of diving into pools of water for acrobatic purposes. They used being able to flip and turn and do all sorts of acrobatic maneuvers into a quote-unquote soft surface, which we know is not necessarily true if we mm. do land at a funky angle it's yeah. definitely not soft ever but in, a belly flop into a right, pool of water right. but but i would imagine it's better than hitting a solid surface right? oh yeah so they employed this um practice to for acrobatics so they could practice what they would do um you know flips and from all those practices they would do these from great heights so they could accomplish many many turns where they wouldn't be able to do that normally and it kind of evolved into Fancy diving. Fancy diving. Yes. Fancy diving was doing things at a greater height, whereas plain diving (laughs) meant that you were just diving at the beginning of a swimming race. Okay. So it was no longer plunging. It's not plunging. No. It's it's plain diving when you start a race and fancy diving if you do anything acrobatic. In England, the practice of high diving or diving from a great height. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to which you I know, said, I'm glad they included the explanation there. I was you know, getting a little lost. Yeah. High, high, maybe, high diving? Yeah, like you're like, sm- smoking. Yeah, like diving after you smoke some weed. Yeah, I don't think that's high diving. Uh-huh. Although, what do you think about actually having a an Olympics that focuses all around marijuana use? Oh, God. I believe a lot of people would enjoy participating and maybe watching that, but I think it would just descend into uh, a bunch of people sitting on a couch laughing with each other. Yeah, so. I think you're right. I think that's what from experience. Yeah, yeah. 
Like what sort of high Olympics events would you think of? Because I think of something like a race, but there's like a refrigerator that you got to get to. That's oh. my first image that I think You know of. what? I, I've seen some competitions that were based around marijuana, and usually it's like who can smoke the biggest bowl. Yeah. Or, Those um, are like food eating competitions. Or yeah, whatever. they have they have bongs that you can place or or water pipes. Excuse me, they have <laughs> water pipes that you can put on the ground that have an extremely like long stem, mm-hmm. so you can stand while you smoke, and somebody else has to light the bowl for you. Gotcha. So the, th- the challenge there is clearing the entire pipe. Are those hookahs? Is that what a hookah is? I always thought that that was a hookah was the larger one, but that my my, my terminology is all messed up because I'm not a big smoker yeah hookahs are a bit different because they have a hose um attached to the chamber that you get the smoke from okay um and bongs or water pipes are essentially just one big chamber with a tube that comes out of the top like a bas- like a bassoon almost yeah some of them do have multiple chambers um mm. i'm not like the most educated person about the differences but mm-hmm. yeah hookahs aren't just for marijuana right hookahs are also for shisha, I think it's yeah. called, right? This fruit-soaked um, I think tobacco? that's primarily shisha is what is smoked with hookah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think there's an association with marijuana and hookahs. Is that a false comparison? You can smoke marijuana with a hookah, but it's difficult. I did once, and you have to use a lot of marijuana, which is probably why most people don't use it. Oh, and a lot of that stuff gets into the water, right? Well, it's a big component of of bongs too, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, there's just a different draw that occurs when you're inhaling with I a hookah? I think so. I'm not entirely sure how it works physically. Yeah. Well, maybe we should have an We got to ho- do some research on this. Either that or have a, uh, some... <laughs> That sounds like we're just gonna go smoke a bunch of weed together. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'm up for it. I, I don't have the. I don't have the money. That's okay. I'll I conduct have... independent experiments okay. and get back to you, you on that one. And then you can provide your research paper to me because right. I just can't afford the food bill. That would be the problem for me. <laughs> Let's get back to diving, shall we? Diving. Fancy, fancy diving, as it's called. When they established uh, in 1901 the first, the Amateur Diving Association, and they basically creating standards for what a high dive is. When the Olympics held the first high diving events in 1904, then in 1908, London added fancy diving to the, but it also incorporated, it wasn't just platforms, it was elastic boards so like springboard diving, essentially. Springboard. Both types that would basically classify as fancy diving. And then women were allowed to participate in diving events four years later in Stockholm, Sweden. And then plane and fancy diving were combined into one event called highboard diving, which is the traditional high dive today. Right. So you do a high dive and then you race afterward is that (laughs) no no no. (laughs) it's basically just diving and then ranking your dives is what was what it was so based on what are the main like categories that these dives are judged on is it just like form the most analogous sort of comparison is to gymnastics and this is just all 
the anecdotal stuff I remember from when I watched the Olympics. But um, you have judges that judge based on splash. They You'll give what, what your trick you're trying to do, right, ahead of time. So if you can't just do a bunch of flips and then they rank it, right? Do a flip! Right. If you don't make the the dive that you say that you're going to make, you get points off for mm. that. You get points for difficulty. It's a very subjective sort of grading system, like most of those ranked things like ice skating, like, you know, like figure skating or things like that. But at the same time, there are uh, multiple factors where they think. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Back in my day, Greg Louganis was the, was the big diving star back in the late 80s, early 90s. He was pretty impressive with all the with all the diving stuff, but that that's the only thing. It's like back when when I was younger, I got into the Olympics for some reason. Did, have you ever watched the Olympics? Were you ever into those or no? You know, I'm not really into the Olympics. Um, I'm not a big fan of watching any sports mm. like on TV or whatever. If you actually had to watch a sport for thirty minutes, which sport would it be? Hmm. I'm. I guess I'll go with like. Um, American football because okay. I know I know a little bit about it so I can at least follow the rules of the game. Okay. Um, I'm much I prefer actually playing sports. I do love yeah. I'm I'm kind of athletic. I do enjoy playing sports, but watching them has always bored me. Did you ever do sporting events? I played in? some powder puff football. Okay. A little bit, and when I was in elementary school, I was the tetherball queen of Ooh, the playground. Tetherball so. queen. Yeah. Is that an official title? No, the other the other students gave it to me. You know, after I defeated them, mercilessly uh. killed them all in tetherball. So. <laughs> tetherball. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or as I like to call it, getting hit in the head with a ball on a string. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're not good, that's what you call it. Did you knight people? No, I, I like to hold my title, you know, pretty high yeah. and uh, use it to feel superior to others. Yeah. But that's okay. Anything that uh, builds your confidence. Right, um, exactly. Especially at that age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was I was 11, so it was kind of an awkward <laughs> age for me. I did not know I was in the presence of tetherball royalty. Yeah, well, now you know. Yeah. Maybe it'll change the way you treat me, but I don't yeah. want that. You know, I just want you to see me as regular Cheyenne. Not just... Not tetherball queen Cheyenne. <laughs> so I shouldn't curtsy every time I see you? Or that would be okay. okay. I'll, I'll accept a That'd curtsy. That'd be pretty funny. Just yeah. to, Come into the coffee shop and just curtsy, and people going, "What the hell is that?" What curtsy the hell, man? man? Not only coffee royalty, but tetherball royalty. Exactly. And then one other thing about high diving: Have you seen a high dive platform? Yeah. Yeah, and it's got the, enormously like, tall. Right, yeah. and it's got three tiers, and it's uh, there's a, a standardization on the different tiers and how high they should be, but they're not all built the same way. It's just that it has to be approved. This I found interesting. Uh, for competitions, there's a, the French Federation. Let me just say this in French poorly for the sake of comedy. Federation Internationale de Nation. <laughs> <laughs> like nation? But th- that just says Federation International Nation. That's all it says. But it's the <laughs> International Swimming Federation. It recognizes and it assesses with the International Olympic Committee as far as what denotes a proper high dive for competitions. So 
that's kind of an interesting little side detail. Generally, the, the heights of those platforms, and this is just on average, are 33 feet, 25 feet, 16 feet. What's the highest you've ever jumped off a diving board or a diving platform? So as far as a diving platform, not very high because it, uh, maybe like six feet okay. because there used to be a community pool in the town that I grew up in Okay, and we would visit there and they did have a, a high diving board. Okay. But um, as far as the largest height I have ever dove or jumped from, it's not really a dive. I have done some cliff diving Oh, in the same area. Okay. Because there was a, a lake called Blue Lake because uh-huh. it was extremely blue. It was like alien blue. Oh, wow. Um, like like a teal sort of color? Yeah, exactly. Kind of an opaque teal color. And huh. it was surrounded by tall cliffs. Okay. So me and my other like rascally friends would go out there and we would dive off the side of the cliff into the water below, which was probably like 20 or 30 feet and that's pretty high. When you say dive, I think head first. It was not head first. Okay. That's why I kind of, um, yeah, modified that. It was more of like a, a pencil dive where you kind of hold your your body right, and your, right. your stick straight and you dive into the water. Right. Feet first. Feet first. Which is which is an, an appropriate entry for a dive. Right. right. It is not. But it is safer well, if you are jumping into a lake that has yeah. rocks in it. No, no, it is appropriate. Your diving moves, now I'm starting to sound like I'm a diving aficionado <laughs> or something. But um, yeah, you can enter either head first or feet first, but you have to do a bunch of flips. Got it. I never did a flip. Okay. <laughs> I'm no. not that acrobatic. No. How high do you think that was? Like I said, it was probably twenty or thirty feet. Okay, wow, that's yeah. that's pretty. It's that's scary. pretty substantial. It's yeah. enough time that you can kind of think about the fact that you're in the middle of the air on yeah. your way down. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Does time? I know some people when they get adrenaline, they've get you know. I've had situations where I've been skiing, and I accidentally planted a pole in front of my ski. Oh no. <laughs> And I was going down a very steep hill. Oh, God. It felt like time slowed down. It, it was really a weird sort of, it had to have been some sort of a, a defense mechanism of some sort. But it felt like I was floating for a little while. And then, of course, crash. Interesting. But it just felt like time was really slow. Did you get that feeling when you did anything with like jumping off high cliffs? Absolutely. It's interesting. It's hard to... It's hard to get into the zone. It's hard to be able to actually jump off of that cliff. Oh yeah, just the just the preliminary like getting yourself prepared. Yeah, you mean? psyching yourself up. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um because it's a it's a long distance when you're standing at that cliff's edge looking down at the water yeah. and there's a little bit of um out jutting rock face too. Oh, so you're just so in you're- your- you're just thinking in your head, oh my God, I'm going to hit my body on those rocks on the way down. Yeah. But of course, it's easy to get enough clearance, or at least it was with those particular cliffs. Right. You know, you don't have to do a running jump or anything like that. How old were you? Oh, I was a teenager. I was probably 15 or 16. Okay. okay. So you had a, a good gait. Because I remember we had a high dive at our local pool. Cary, Illinois was a neighboring town and. And they had a community pool, and we would go there for like day camp during the summer and stuff. And it would just be, you know, uh, going and doing crafts during the day and then going to swim. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. I was probably like eight, nine, ten. And 
the high dive seemed so incredibly high. I mean, you know, if you would have asked eight-year-old me how high that was, I would have said, oh, that's got to be at least 50 feet. <laughs> right? But how high was it actually? Yeah, it probably was closer to 20. It was a springboard high dive. And, uh, you know, you'd always have the kids daring the other kids to jump off it and stuff like that. Yeah. But there was an adrenaline rush that I remember even as a kid just, you know, doing that kind of thing. Yeah. That whole cliff diving thing reminds me of a joke by the late Norm MacDonald. He did this thing about, you know, he liked watching sports. One of his things that he said was there, there are only two classifications of cliff diver. Grand champion and stuff on a rock. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds that about, sounds about right. right. Yeah, and There were even higher cliffs that my friends would jump off of than I was like, oh. Oh, wow. But Screw that, man. Did any of them dive or did uh, some of them, did they just jump in feet first? I do think one of them may have dove. We had a friend called, uh, we called him Big Jake. Big Jake. Big Jake, as opposed to small Jake. Right. And uh, Or the two Jakes. In rural Washington, you know, there's a lot of, like, teenage boys who will do anything to impress their sweethearts. And so you get a lot of crazy kind of antics going on, including diving headfirst off of a cliff <sighs> into a lake. I tell you. Kids today. Yeah. Probably much smarter. Gen Z is much smarter than my generation is, I feel. Yeah? Yeah, I do. Well, but there's there's something for the experience of it, too. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I always think of is if if you don't experience things that are a little bit scary, what kind of life is that? And, and the, you know, we all did really stupid things, I think, to varying degrees as, as, as children, that where we risked our own life and not other people's lives. I mean, uh, there are instances where you risk, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? You do stupid things and you don't uh, consider the consequences to others. But something like jumping off a cliff or riding a roller coaster or doing a zip line, if the, the next generation is apprehensive in doing a, any of that stuff, they're, they're missing out on a piece of an adrenaline. Experience. Yeah, an experience yeah. that's really special. Taking risks is good for you. It's good to challenge your mind and your body and your and your fears that you have established. Right. It helps you grow as a person and become more confident in your own abilities. So right. I definitely agree with that. But if the next generation doesn't want to take those kinds of risks, well then, you know, that's that's a portion of life that miss out on a lot of learnings too. But yeah. I don't want to classify. I just want to bring that up as a point. It's true. And I'm sure there's lots of adventurous Gen Zers out there who do plenty of exciting things. Yeah. That don't involve Tide Pods. (laughs) That don't involve Tide Pods. There you go. That's their risky, uh, risky activity. Yeah. Tide Pods. Tide Pods. It's not just for cleaning clothes anymore. No. Kids. Kids at home. Nora. Don't do Tide Pods. Don't do Tide Pods, but take risks that are bigger than a spicy take on TikTok. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Do things that are that take you out of your comfort zone. I think that's that's another thing, too. It's like be willing and open to do things that are out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself to take those kinds of risks. Absolutely. Whether or not it's on a platform diving <laughs> into a lake or whether it's delivering a speech to a large audience you yeah know what i mean 
you can learn a lot of things from that and you're not going to do it 100% right all mm-hmm. the time. Both of know? those th- both of those things are on platforms too. Correct. Giving a, giving a speech and right, exactly. taking a dive. Exactly. See? I I like to think that I was uh That was clever. Yeah. Well, I didn't do it intentionally. <laughs> Do you ever do you ever wear platform shoes? Oh God, no! No, Are you kidding me? I'm I'm six three over here for one, so I don't know. You know what? There was a time when I was going to wear platform boots for some sort of cosplay thing that I had imagined, but didn't go through with it. No, I think cosplay is going to be something that I would do with a partner. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would be more likely to do that with a partner. There may be a time when I do a half-assed cosplay, kind of like yeah. um, like a half-assed Halloween costume. Something like Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's an easy, <laughs> it's a super easy costume for me. I just have the components. I've got the shirt. I've got right. the suspenders. I've got the belt. You just kind of look like an average Joe, though, if you if that's the if that's the costume. Well, yeah, dressing it, up as a a kid, a teenager who yeah. was in high school right. in the eighties. Right, exactly. But it's you know it's my little homage to the time i grew up <laughs> i don't know ben maybe you should challenge yourself to to engage in cosplay maybe. alone you, you know, know as I, a risk here's here's one thing there's there's a, a superhero and i a friend of mine viola she does cosplay kind of stuff with with uh, friends of hers in college she did group costumes with friends of hers for various conventions for like comic-con and things like that right yeah and uh, she had a contact, and I am a big fan of a particular DC superhero that, in my mind, really represents the 80s. And he is a character named Booster Gold. Booster Gold. Yeah. Booster Gold is a character from the future. He was a star f- quarterback in American football. He was a, a rising star. And his father was in some trouble and had a horrible gambling issue and basically came to him and wanted him to fix the game and he got caught, essentially. And then he was disgraced and kicked off the football league and that's all he knew was was football. So he got, for his community service, he started working at the Justice League of America Museum. (laughs) Oh my God. And... He was paired up with a partner who was this robot named Skeets. Skeets? Yeah. Skeets had a very advanced AI. He was essentially a janitor, and the Skeets robot would follow him around. And, so they and have developed advanced AI, but they use it for a janitor Janitorial robot. services. <laughs> but anyway, Skeets convinces him that he should steal some Justice League equipment somehow he has the ability to transport him to the past so booster gold sounds so nefarious later on in the series he does become nefarious in in certain ways so skeets convinces booster gold to go to the past so he can since they know history at that point he can be the hero that he wants to be and get the fame and notoriety that he has always wanted that's his flaw. He's not going back to be a hero to be a hero and a better person. He's going back to get the notoriety that he is now missing out on because of his choice to help his estranged father. Interesting. And yeah. 
and it's very it's very interesting he's got like this character has so many interesting facets about crazy 80s ideas he tries to create a sort of a group of heroes that are sponsored by big companies but then the problem becomes that those companies use him for their own gain Oh, for advertisements. Advertisements in addition to, like, if something is going to happen at a company that's going to be detrimental, well, they want him to go after that thing and don't want him to rescue the cat out of the tree or whatever. Yeah. But his his whole character, Booster Gold, just he, he comes off as this guy who's just doing it for the fame, sort of used car salesman-y, but he develops into this, he kind of finds his inner hero as his arc moves on. Which is kind of a cool thing. Mm. Like he's, you know, very much 1980s. Sounds like a good character development. Exactly. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting story that for some reason connected to me. First thing he did when he came back was he fought Superman, which is like the ridiculous. Like who the hell does that? Why would you fight Superman right away? Yeah, that's that's like going to Ganondorf as soon as you you know enter the game of Legend of Zelda. Like, right. No. Right. Which people have done. Yeah, they have. Yeah. I, I told my friend that I, you know, like Booster Gold and I've got like some several like things. I made these like yellow glasses that sort of had a fake HUD that looked like, you know, Booster Gold glasses. I had the shirt, like a t-shirt that had his emblem on it. I had this replica Justice League flight ring, which is what he uses to fly around and stuff. <laughs> so... I had some components and I thought, you know, maybe one of these days I'll hire someone. And she put me in touch with someone who, who actually makes spandex sort of yeah. costumes. Does Booster Gold have a cape? I think initially he starts out he doesn't have a cape. Mm. Yeah, because capes are no good. I mean, they are really detrimental if you're a superhero. Right. I think they covered some of that in Incredibles. Yes. <laughs> they show the superhero getting sucked into a jet engine. Right, Yeah. right. Although Superman always wore a cape. Yeah, and he was fine. You know what I really think it was? I think it was a sort of a calming, sort of the flapping. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I think it's ultimately a style choice. Yeah. If you're careful, you'll be fine. You mm. just have to have an added level of caution when you come into situations. With From a cape. my experiences with capes, the biggest problem hold, would. Hold, hold, hold on. Your experiences with capes? Yes. Okay, continue. <laughs> My experience with capes is the biggest problem is not getting sucked into a jet engine, but just gathering leaves and dirt behind you as you um, walk. Yeah, the trail. Um, and it's super annoying, actually, having to like shake all that stuff out, and right, you can just well, feel the drag. What about stepping on it? People step on it and stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. It's it's worse than uh, getting flat tired or you know whatever. It, it's called when you step on the back of somebody's shoe. Yeah. Stepping on the back of somebody's cape just ruin their day. Well, it's connected to your neck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it'll jerk yeah. you backwards. Yeah. The laws of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not uh, I'm not a big cape person. I no. don't think I would wear a cape for that for that uh, cosplay thing. But I thought about it occasionally doing the cosplay thing. Have you done cosplay? I, I think you have done cosplay before, right? Only a little bit, never anything sophisticated. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any urge to do any of those things or no? I think it would be cool sometimes, yeah. especially if I was going to a geek con or something like right. that. Right. But in general, I don't have the energy to put all that 
energy into costume making, which is, I think, part of the joy that cosplayers get out of it. Yeah, I think the making of the costume is some of them, and some of them like the the spectacle of it all, too. Some people are doing it just for the kind of the, very much like Booster Gold, kind of the, you know, admiration and the fame. Yeah, which is great. I mean, if you love showing off a good cosplay, I think that's fantastic. I like seeing them. Yeah. But I don't have the energy or the willpower to put all that effort into something that I'm going to wear one time. There's also a character, a video game character um, named Beat from the game jet set radio i love jet set radio me too i had a beat costume that i was going to wear to one of my video game conventions i've got the shirt for beat and then i've got something that i could kind of make into sort of a a visor sort of thing and i've got gloves and i've you know i've got components Right. right i've got different components that i'm thinking about doing it but the big part is the is is going to be the skates the skates yep yeah You'd also have to buy like a few cans of spray paint or something. As I recall, a big part of Jet Set Radio Futures, like skating around and finding murals to graffiti. Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about future. You're not talking about the the original. Oh yeah, I think I am. I didn't realize there was an orig- yeah. original. Yeah. Let you know what? Let's. Uh, I'm gonna get into this really quick before I go into a movie thing. In the original Jet Set Radio, there was a dynamic that was absent from Future. Future was a wonderful game, and I really enjoyed it. But the dynamic was when you would get to a mural, instead of just pressing a button and you'd spray it, in the first one, what would happen is you have to do a little simple rotating sort of thing, like rotate the joystick around, rotate it backwards to kind of simulate you actually doing the tag. And the more elaborate the tag that you were doing, the more moves that you had to do. And, you know, you got point a point score for how many of those you chained together without interrupting it. But as it was happening, people would be like the the police or or some sort of a you know things would be rushing towards you to try and disrupt you doing it mm-hmm. so then you know and if you got hit by them you get some health taken off added something to the game that felt absent in future yeah it was something that was kind of sort of a time crunch but it it just to me that was the thing I love Future, but not as much as the original Jet Jet Grind Radio, as it was called in the States. Interesting. Or Jet Set Radio, as it was originally called in Japan. Um, so, yeah. But Jet Set Radio Future was definitely awesome. And had an awesome soundtrack. It really did. did. I still listen to a lot of those songs. Yeah. So, platforms. Platforms. Are you familiar with the movie The Platform? Hmm. I don't think so. Okay. It's a Spanish social science fiction horror by a director named Gal. Oh, jeez, I'm going to butcher the heck out of this name. Galder Gatzelo Uretia. Uretia? Uretia. Uretia? In Spanish known as El Hoyo or The oh, Hole. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Galder Gatstelu Urrutia. Urrutia. Okay. So let's say it together. Oh, Galder Gatstelu Urrutia. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so it, the middle the middle name or the first part of the last name is a little hard with the Z in the middle of it. But we're not trying to be rude no, we're to not. this director. No, we aren't. We're just very white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're very white. Yes, this is true. Um, so this movie is about sort of a, a tower where the residents of this tower, it's called a vertical self-management center. And what happens is... In this tower, the different occupants at, at the various levels are rotated every 30 days. But what happens as far as distributing food in this tower, it's lowered down on a, on a platform. Right. And it has the food, and you can take as much as you want, basically, as it goes down. And they're finding that as it gets down to the bottom, it's all gone. So there are things yeah. that social sort of things and, and horrific things that happen on those lower platforms like, you know, cannibalism and yeah, people I'm doing all sorts of things. I'm fairly certain that my boyfriend was watching this recently and I do want to watch this. It looks fascinating. It seems like it could be overly preachy, but it does have kind of a, a sort of a horror appeal to it that I think would appeal to you. It's not my... Your cup of tea. No, no. <laughs> But it sounds like the people at the top of this vertical platform are yeah. really the ones who are privileged or they have access to the most food. Right. If you're moving from floor to floor every 30 days, just randomly, you know what the other floors are dealing with, right? Yeah. So they're, you know, the person who is a good, quote unquote, good person may want to try and figure out a way to make it a fair system but is there a way to make it a fair system it's not without agreement from everyone else is correct the, is the problem here yeah yeah and how do you get that agreement when you're separated by floors and you don't have exposure to you can't really appeal to someone's sense of fairness if yeah. you can't talk to them well, I mean, when when I think about this, I think that there's some people who would intentionally leave food on the platform so that floors below them could eat. And I think that there are some people who would take more than their fair share and hoard it and, att and attempt to use it for some sort of extortion or, you know, some sort of benefit to them that they can use on other people. Yeah. What, what about poisoning the food for the lower levels? So that means that if they get moved to a different level they can have all the food because no one's eating it or i mean That's, something weird like that like, yeah it's not my kind of movie it sounds like your kind of movie it does i'm actually i'm gonna watch this yeah i think it's on netflix now kind of talking about platform shoes platform and, shoes uh, i'm sorry i interrupted you oh no that's okay they're just i think that they're really cool um they're they've got an aesthetic to them that i feel like a lot of like punk or alternative people like yeah it also makes me think of stilts. I got into walking on stilts oh, wow. um, when I was in elementary school, and I got quite proficient at it for mm -hmm. a while. I could walk around, jump. I could walk up onto other objects on stilts. Oh, wow. And walking in platform shoes is similar to that because yeah. you have to really get the balance down. Have you ever worn high heels? Oh, all the time, especially when I was younger and I had to go to church so much. I would always wear 
high heels yeah. and platform heels and things okay. like that. Is there a sort of a hierarchy as far as what's just more comfortable? I would imagine platforms are so much more comfortable or better to wear than a high heel. Yeah. Platforms are much more comfortable because than straight up high heels. Because you're generally flat or at a slight angle, right? Yeah. It is difficult to balance in them sometimes, but... Easier than wearing a stiletto, for example, where the heel is so sharp that if you're walking on any sort of porous surface, you're just going to sink straight into it. Or let's not talk about cracks either, like cracks in sidewalks or whatever. I've never broken a heel before. No? No. Hmm. They're pretty fun, actually. Fun? It makes you feel powerful. It can make you feel powerful. It It makes me extraordinarily tall, though, because I'm already... Five foot eleven. So when I put on really tall high heels, I'm like six five. Right. Yeah. Six five. That's a pretty (laughs) tile. I'm just saying they're pretty high. Pretty high heels. Wow. And that's also with the platform shoes too. Yeah. 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 I think those were really big in the seventies. Platforms came into yeah um, being in the seventies and. I saw some interesting platform combat boots that were appealing to my goth industrial side back in those days when i was younger <laughs> yeah Which I, I i thought about maybe buying some platform combat boots but it's never know. too late it is never too late but i'm more of a socks and sandals guy <laughs> these days so yeah if unless they have some platform sandals which seem to be counterintuitive <laughs> one of my friends has a pair of white go-go boots oh yeah with platforms on them yeah. and she always wears them when she really wants to look fantastic it's yeah. like it's like her power boots that's like 50s yeah 50s, 60s right mm-hmm. Pla- like go-go boots yeah that's pretty cool i can appreciate the fashion but it's not for me yeah unless i'm being paid adequately for it maybe i would do it for that <laughs> Don't you get any ideas out there, audience or, or Nora? <laughs> Do you want to move on to video games and I platforms would. and video games? I believe we should move on to platform video games. Yeah. Which uh, which portion of platform video games do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the the various platforms you've owned over your lifetime first? Or do you want to go into oh. the platform game? Well, maybe we should start with the platforms that we game on first. Yeah. Um, what was the very first game system that you had as a as a gaming platform? It was either a computer, like a PC, okay. or a Nintendo 64. Okay. I'm not sure whether I played on the computer first or whether I played on the N64 first. I remember when I was, before I had ever entered school... When my siblings would go to the bus, I would rush out to the living room so that I could play Ocarina of Time on the N64 or like one of the other N64 games. We had Donkey Kong. We had, gosh. Uh, By Donkey Kong, you mean Donkey Kong Country or do you mean? Um, Yeah, I think it probably was Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. But I also remember playing on the PC a lot when I was a young kid and Mm -hmm. I loved playing They were like desktop games, you know, like they had the card games on there, but they also had Chips Challenge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Chips Challenge was a great puzzle game. Yeah. Um, Very simple, very fun. One of the platforms I played on was the Atari Lynx. (laughs) 
when I moved out here, I had my computer and I had my Atari Lynx. And the reason I bought Atari instead of the Sega Game Gear at the time was the games that I liked in the arcade, there were more of them on the Atari Lynx that I liked than there were on the Sega Game Gear. There are a whole bunch of arcade games I really enjoyed, like this game called Zybots, which was this sort of three-dimensional maze thing where you're fighting various robots you basically would rotate your character it was a it was a maze game essentially right right? and then this game called hydra but chips challenge was was a game that was on that system yeah it's one of the first games that got one of the opening titles for that did you ever play chips challenge no i just saw it so can you describe what chips challenge is yeah so you play i assume his name is chip he is the one that is presented with this challenge and you go through these little rooms that have various environments some of them have water some of them have like ice rinks so the way that you interact with the environment depends on what is in there so if there's like an ice skating rink you're gonna have to solve a puzzle to find some like ice skating shoes so that you can walk over the ice rink to the other platforms the goal of each level is usually finding the computer chip that will unlock the corresponding door so that you can move on to the next level okay a lot of the puzzles are based on the environment so you're trying to like slide to the right platform in the right order so that you can get to the part of the level where the key is sometimes you have to do some swimming they have blocks that you have to move around or push into water and sticky tiles occasionally that would trap you Um, It was really fun. It was like, I don't remember how many levels there were. 148. Wow. Way more than I remembered. 149 in Microsoft's version. 148 in the Lynx version. Do you have a gaming PC versus a non-gaming PC? Yeah, I do. Okay. I have a a computer solely dedicated to gaming. And then uh, it's a little bit older. Okay. And then I have one... My Mac is just more portable. They're both laptops, but the CyberPower PC is enormous and yeah. incredibly difficult to carry around. Hmm. So I use the Mac for homework and for traveling, for writing, for yeah. coding. Okay, well, back to platforms. Back to gaming platforms, yeah. though. So your first one, once again, was the Nintendo 64. It was, and that was followed by like a Game Boy Advance, and then I had the DS Systems. I also played on the GameCube, played mm-hmm. on the Xbox. My cousin had a PlayStation that I played on occasionally. I played Crash Bandicoot on that. You know, we could probably spend about 20 minutes me going through all my systems. Right. But I can tell you my most memorable platforms. Right. One of the ones that I remember is the Commodore 64 being a, a big computer and gaming platform for me mm-hmm. the atari 2600 i can't forget that that is a classic system Are you familiar with the atari i'm a, i'm familiar with the atari game system but maybe not that specific model as far as yeah the atari system that is the most well known is the atari 2600 a joystick with a single orange button, button. right yeah that had some good platform games on it too yeah um, there was one like the I don't know what it's called, but you swing through like a forest. Above. Pitfall. Pit, yeah, pitfall. Pitfall, classic. Yeah, and there was also one that I love called Keystone Capers, which was you were a Keystone cop and you were trying to basically keep. Um, it was three levels and it had sort of a rudimentary map of those three levels, and you were trying to keep 
um, these, you know, thieves who for some reason were wearing the stripe things. I don't know why you would... <laughs> it didn't make any sense why a thief would be wearing like prison stripes. Oh yeah, they're... black and white stripes. Right, but they well, were. It's because it's their, it's their occupational garb. Yeah, you know, exactly. They have that in Sims 3 too. Whenever a robber comes to your house, they have on a black beanie and then a black and white shirt that's just stripey. Yeah. You're like, oh, that guy's a thief. Right. He's... That guy right there. I mean, why would you wear the uniform of being in jail? Yeah, I don't know. Keystone Capers was a was another early platformer in the Atari 2600 days. The other notable one was, as I've said countless times, the Sega Dreamcast. I mean, say what you will about the Genesis, which was a big game system for me and had a lot of the arcade games that I loved on it. From generation to generation, it's really interesting when arcades were big if you got the big arcade games on your system you got more sales generally right because people like playing those arcade games at home the dreamcast is another platform as far as games that holds a special place in my heart because it was sort of my reintroduction to to gaming i had just played on my pc I never had a game system from that portable Atari Lynx I mentioned earlier. That was the last actual system that I bought, the last console. And so I was going to be working in California, and I went to a friend's house, my friend Bert, she and her husband, Steve. I was going to be going to California to do some QA software testing, it was basically going to be mostly testing from the perspective of an end user for the new product that was coming out. I was going to be there for about three or four months. Basically, they were giving me kind of a, a pep talk, essentially. It was 1990, uh, 1998, 99, somewhere around there. And their son had just gotten a Sega Dreamcast. And I was watching him play Sonic Adventure. It baffled the heck out of me what was going on on the screen. I just could not, it, you know, I was more of a 2D sort of like gamer. There were there were 3D games, but they were generally turn-based. And it wasn't like this, you know, even the ones in the arcade, I could wrap my head around what was going on. Right. But he was running along and then all of a sudden the perspective switched and a big killer whale was knocking the bridge out behind him. And I was like, what the, how the hell can you understand what's going on there? It was just baffling to me. So then when I made it to California, that was one of the first things I bought with my big boy job money. Nice. And that was kind of my reintroduction, and it had a wonderful array of various platform games, one of which we mentioned, which was I would consider Jet Set Radio sort of a, 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 a platform. platform. Yeah. Action platform. Yeah. I think those three, the Atari 2600, the Commodore 64, and the Sega Dreamcast. Those are your big three. Those, those are, are my, the historic, the got me into computers, and then also... What got me back into video games and consoles after I had been away from them for so long? 
Right. Do you have any other notable ones other than you said the the Nintendo series? Uh, yeah, ones. Nintendo 64, big one for me. I will always love and remember the GameCube. I have to say even the Wii, the Nintendo Wii was like so revolutionary at the time that it came out because of the motion controls yeah. and the handheld controller. If you ever played Wii Sports, you'll remember the iconic theme song for it. Yeah. Do you? No. Oh, oh my gosh. I got to show that to you later. Okay. Um, and my mom actually took an embarrassing video of me dancing to it when I was about, <laughs> when I was about 10 years old. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would have to say the Nintendo 64, the Nintendo GameCube, and I know that these are all Nintendo platforms. But no, that's fine. It's just that's sort fine. of how it ended up happening when I was growing up. That's what my parents gave me, what right. they provided for me. Well, um, but, it would yeah. based on based on your background, that would make sense, right? And and, and I'm not saying that to be. I mean, you know, it, it's that that's those those there was sort of a. It was it was a stigma for people who are gamers. Yeah. But it was a kid system. It had been labeled that for some reason, like ever since the early days. It was it was a game for oh, well, you're gonna develop that, that's for kids. Uh Sega is not for kids, it's it's you know, it's extreme or you know, PC is not for kids. But the, and I'm not saying that's true now. Right, right. Uh, especially with games like you know, like especially on the Wii, I think that's when it really kind of cracked the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Was then, uh, although on the GameCube there was there was um, Code Veronica, um, Biohazard. Um, what is it called here? It's not called Biohazard here. It's called Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Yeah, um, Resident Evil Code Veronica. Uh, that was one that came out on the um, originally on the Dreamcast, but then came to the GameCube. Yeah. So. Yeah, it kind of it's broken its sort of stigma of being a kid system now. Yeah, especially now, a lot of the Nintendo platforms are generally used by adults. A lot of them are the adults that grew up with them too. Oh yeah, you know, and, millennials. And, yeah, um, a lot of them are still playing Pokemon. Yeah, right? exactly. I thought I always thought it was a silly argument. Um, that whole like, oh, that's just a kid system. It's like. Well, are the games fun to play? Yeah, right? and that's the point. That's the point. It doesn't make any sense whether it's kids or not. I mean, it's like, you know, um, I enjoy things that I shouldn't enjoy as an adult. Like, I think we talked about Skylanders on the last show. You know, <laughs> like these little figurines. Right. Um, and, and to kind of go back to that briefly, which is also, Skylanders was a big, elaborate platform game, essentially that involved all these different characters that you could collect. But you could unlock them in the game if you didn't have the characters. It would just be you could store the you know various information on them and you could unlock them ahead of time if you had the figures. Um, and then use each figure had its own move set and things like that. But um, I remember when I was working at the coffee shop. The coffee shop. Yeah. There was a little kid who had his Skylander figures and I was like, oh, cool, which one is that? And then I was just talking to him like he was just a normal, regular person. And his, and his father was looking at me like I was a, like, like I was a creep. Because you were was, talking about Sky, what the, Skylander? Yeah, Skylander figurines? Yeah. So you're just relating to him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've got this. And it's like, you've got those? I was like, 
Yeah. Duh. I mean, they're fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, people are judgmental. I, I know that now, but back in my <laughs> younger days. You're like, what the hell, man? Yeah. But yeah, other platform games. I feel like there are so many older platform games that we can think of. If we're going to move on to platform games, like the the genre, the subgenre known as platform. Yeah. Should um, we define it? Because I think it's a very loose sort of definition. I yeah. Mean, I guess I would define a platform game because it is an open sort of genre. Uh-huh. But it has to be, in my head, it kind of has to be 2D or it doesn't necessarily have to be 2D, but it has to be like kind of a side scroller mm-hmm. or one where you're set in a level where you kind of have to jump and navigate through different platforms or different surfaces. But a lot of them, it's open to kind of a gray area. Right. As I'll kind of go into when I talk about games like Inside and um, Limbo. 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 Yeah. That was Those the- are the two. Limbo was the was the first one that I remember. Yeah, because yeah. Limbo did come first, and Inside yeah. was like the second one Correct. they made that was like that. And Limbo, yeah, was very unique the way it presented things in a very sort of black and white kind of creepy sort of manner. Yeah. Um, but so your definition of platform is not doesn't span into three uh, D at all. I, no, I think it could be 3D because okay. like... Like Super Mario Sunshine. Exactly. Like said. when you see, when you're playing the games, your characters can be three-dimensional, obviously. I just mean that the perspective is more side-on for yeah. me in a platformer. You're not going to be moving like away as much as you are back and forth. Yeah. You know. I think, I, I think for me what a platform game is, it's not just you know, platforms. It's navigation from one point to another for a specific purpose where there's a beginning and an end and it's not so open-worldy. Now, in a 3D sort of environment, there is a tendency to go to an open world, right? Yeah. There are things to explore. But if you are going from point A to point B to accomplish a mission, to me... That's like a I generally I generally call that a platformer generally, yeah. Um, because it, with everything like there's going to be some exploration to find all the hidden stuff or find things like that. It's a, it's a sort of a it's a really tricky thing, and you could you can argue you know you could have a semantic argument over what is a platformer, what isn't. But I think right. any kind of action e sort of game that involves going between one point and another point to to accomplish a certain mission and you there's a navigation piece to it yeah and as far as figuring out how to get from point a to point b right there's always like a puzzle aspect yeah. or there's usually a puzzle aspect yeah. to it which which uh, there's some overlap like let, let's say there's some minor puzzle things that go on in skyrim there's some minor minor puzzle things that you have and very minor right right um but i mean for the most part yeah, platform games are jumping from platform to platform to yeah reach a certain goal. And or, I think a key difference is the open world aspect. It's yeah. never going to be an open world. It's definitely a closed world right. environment. It's a closed yeah. It's a, it's a more closed environment. Traditionally, here's what the quote unquote dictionary definition: a platform game, a video game genre and subgenre of action game. 
nor had a suggestion of us doing a show on breaking down the types of games. And man, there are just so I many genres like that and subgenres. Takes so long, but yes. Well, once we once we get the the base components down, I think we would be good. But it, it's like how people classify movies, right? Right. There are horror movies, but there are sci-fi horror movies, and, and there are thrillers, fantasies, and there's and slashers, thrillers, sci-fi. F- yeah, there's just there's so many genres and subgenres, and then you know like greater genres that encompass other genres. Yeah, exactly. Like there's overlap, right? Yeah. Like Jason X. Yeah. You ever see Jason X? Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't that's the think one so. where that's the one where um, Jason from the Friday the Thirteenth series is in space. Oh, you know, I don't think I've seen Jason X. I've okay. watched a lot of the I, Friday the 13th movies. There's a scene that I always remember where, you know, of course, instead of teenagers in a, in a camp being trapped, or teenagers in a spaceship. At Camp ooh, Crystal Lake. Yes, which is my hometown of Crystal Lake. Not, <laughs> not has nothing to do with Camp Crystal Lake, though, by the way. Um, but, yeah, yeah. One of the fun, one of the lines I remember is you know that apparently like Jason for some reason is frozen, like Jason, and they unfreeze him somehow by being trapped on the ship. And one of the kids says to the other is like, "Oh no no, he just wants his machete back." <laughs> so that's, that's great. one of the things. Good old I Jason Voorhees, good guy. Good. I mean, not really, but. Good at his job. Good at his job. Yeah, he's just uh, very good at killing teenagers. He's very that are loyal to his mother. Thinning. Maybe that's something we could take away from him. Maybe, maybe he's thinning. got an excellent choice in accessories. Yeah, he he thins the herd of all the stupid kids. Yeah, you know? he can travel extremely fast. Yeah, climbing, swinging, all sorts of different ways to traverse. So yeah. I think that's. I think when we talk about platformers, we talk about traversal. What is your favorite platform game of all time? Or notable oh, platform games that you remember? Notable platform games, the Super Mario games of course. are great, obviously. Old standby. Lady Sia, when I was a little kid, was a great um, platform game okay. on the uh, Game Boy Advance. Okay, what is Lady Sia? Can you explain you, that? Because I've never heard of that. Yeah, you play a warrior woman. Okay. Who she has like a bird that she flies around on, but normally you drop into a level and you're defeating like this evil group um, that has declared war on all the other realms. Uh-huh. I don't remember what they're called, but they're, they're they look kind of like the Lord of the Ring orcs almost. Um, and you just kind of go you have a sword if i remember correctly and you have to use that to fight your way through the end but i just love it because you're the platforms themselves are like rock islands floating in the sky that Mm -hmm. you travel in between and there's some cool like medieval architecture on them and at the end of the level i believe you jump onto your bird and you know you can fly off um it's just really enjoyable huh but yeah, the other platform games I wanted to bring up was um, Limbo, which is very oh, cool. Yeah. It's cool because um, it is black and white. It's got that cool aesthetic. But also, they have some cool puzzles. I keep saying cool. It's very cool. 
Um, they have puzzles with big monsters, big spiders that can kind of like get you if you come too close. There were a lot of jump scares in that game, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, but even better than Limbo, I liked Inside. Okay. And I don't know if you ever played I Inside. Ne- I never played Inside. I did play Limbo. But you play. You are this little boy again, um, and you're like traveling at night, um, trying to avoid being seen by this like nefarious group of police. It looks like. Okay. And you're traveling through buildings. Um, underwater, over land, and a lot of it is like hiding from, um, hiding from like the vision, the line of sight of your enemies. Okay. It has a lot to do with lighting. Is it a stealth-based game as opposed yeah. to? Okay, so it's a stealth-based platformer as opposed to. Exactly. Okay. You have to solve a lot of puzzles on how you open doors, right. um, how you can get to the next area. One thing I loved about it was there's also some stuff about timing like there's a part where you have to climb over a fence before this pack of dogs can get to you right and but they're very fast so as soon as you go to the other side like they'll start running around to the other side and you don't necessarily have enough time to open the door so you have to jump back onto the fence and try and coax them over to the other side um it's just like really sophisticated and fun to play and kind of scary in the same like general timeline, I guess, as far as did you ever play any of the Super Meat Boy kind of games or anything like that? Did I you? don't think so. Okay. Super Meat Boy was one of these like extremely hard platformer kind of games where, you know, there's there's sort of a dynamic of you can jump between walls and stuff, you know, and there's a sliding mechanic where you're a big square of cube of meat. <laughs> Hence, Super Meat Boy, and um, there's, but it's like the the whole thing is how hard it is. Is that something you want to weigh in on as far as really super hard platform games that are just there for that reason? They they try and be the hardest game. They the 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 timing on there is supposed to be like. Do you like those? Do you not like those? Or does it is there does it matter? I can get some enjoyment out of those. I'm not as much of a fan as like games that are intentionally hard to beat. But my uh, my boyfriend is very into games that take a lot of practice and mm-hmm. and skill to accomplish. And so it's something that I've been able to appreciate more, you know, since spending more time with him. Yeah. Like it's not a platformer, but he one of his favorite games is Dark Souls. Okay. You know, because that yeah. the point of the game is that it's difficult yeah. and you have to really become a master before you can beat it. So it gives you a sense of pride and accomplishment as yeah. EA would say. For me, I just I you know, if it's something where it's ridiculously hard for just the sake of being ridiculously hard. I don't generally enjoy it. If there's something to pull me through that difficulty, like a storyline, right. fine. But I understand the appeal of difficulty like that. Mm-hmm. Credited as the first platform game is not what you think. What is it? It is uh, a game called Space Panic. Space Panic. Yeah. You're traveling between platforms and ladders and things like that where you go you know, avoiding enemies and things. Um, shortly thereafter, there was a group that was sort of a genre of climbing that was just basically you would, it was a side scroller who was a vertical side scroller. Yeah. It was 
the whole point of the game of Crazy Climber, which came out in 1980 also, Nichibutsu was the company that made Crazy Climber. But you were just ascending a tower and had to get to the top and things were being thrown down at you and open windows were opening and things like that. But that yeah. is a, I would consider that a platformer. It's sort of a climber platformer game. Yeah, for sure. Some of the more notable ones that I remember in the arcade are games like Donkey Kong in 1981, of course. Bubble Bobble. Did you ever play any of the Bubble Bobble games? No, I don't think I okay. did. Yeah, Bubble Bub and Bubble Bob. <laughs> for some reason, these two little dragons that blew up bubbles and trapped enemies. And then when they were trapped in the bubbles, if you popped the bubbles, they would you would get, they would explode and then fruit would fall on and you collect all the fruit destroy all the enemies that are trapped and then you know and then of course every few levels that would have a boss fight right on um boss fights are they necessary for platform games boss fights are should be in every game even okay yeah okay i, I don't know i love boss fights it's like a it's a way to use the skills that you've acquired along the way or the tools that you've learned how to use yeah whatever items you've picked up yeah. You know, it's a challenge. I think most boss... When I think of platforms, I think... Platform games, I think boss fights are a part of that, generally. Yeah. Um, one other one I wanted to... Uh, not just the arcade ones. Oh, there was a Popeye video game. A Popeye. <laughs> yeah, there was a Popeye arcade game made by Nintendo also, which I will show you later. But it was very much... You know, it was very much a Nintendo... I mean, it was a, it was a platform game. Bluto was trying to, you know... Um, throw obstacles in your way and you were trying to you know get the spinach and to defeat it was i'll show it to you later but um contra contra did you ever play contra no i don't think so contra as the name would imply is basically it was uh the name was called (laughs) i don't know where they got contra in the u.s it was called contra do you know what it's called in japan no grizor (laughs) grizor yeah why and i don't, I don't know. know but it was uh you you had a a very much looking uh like uh a rambo looking dude and a arnold schwarzenegger looking dude with their guns and they were fighting aliens in the jungle so it was kind of a i think that's where contra came up was it was you know a jungle environment where you were two soldiers of fortune or whatever right. were analogs of Sylvester Stallone. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator, mm-hmm. where you were going against these aliens. Interesting. Yeah. You it know was... what? That makes me think of Bro Force. Have oh, you ever played okay. Bro Force? No, I've heard That's of it, a though. Fun, vi- like, action platformer that you can play with other people. Yeah. And you play different, like, um, action heroes of legend, like Rambo. Okay. Um, and. Yeah, you have like your own special gun depending on which hero you are. Is it kind of like a Super Smash Brothers sort of thing or is it more cooperative? It's cooperative okay. and you're you're fighting like you drop in on missions in different continents and you're fighting like bad guys, of course, okay. big robot tanks and right. stuff like that. It's really fun. There's yeah. lots of like explosions, but it's like kind of got a blocky look to it. Okay. So it's kind so of So it's like it's, a retro. Yeah, it's cool. Contra was the arcade, but it's also made its own sort of. It made its way out of the plat. It's a it's a known sort of uh, franchise. 
uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention Mega Man. Mega Man. I think that's a really a really great platform franchise. Oh yeah. Always has been. Great boss fights in general, right? And the evolution of a platformer, I think you can't um, forget Castlevania. I don't. I never played Castlevania. Okay. It was a vampire themed, you know, vampires castle kind of game where you would have enemies very similar to all the like you know like we mentioned metroid or things like that but there were enemies flying at you and there were boss fights and things like that but yeah castlevania was a big franchise back in the nintendo days started out there favorite platformers i'm just going to mention two because they're just so friggin many there really are um one of the ones that i enjoyed that i thought was one of these diamonds in in the rough um, was actually on the GameCube, and it was this game called Beautiful Joe. Mm. And it had, it was basically this, the character was really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of like he was in the movies, and it was all movie-themed sort of superhero powers where um, you had done the the outfit of Beautiful Joe, and you could do all sorts of like, clipping footage and they were so it was it was all done in the genre of a movie which i'd never seen before which is really a a pretty amazing sort of fun concept yeah did you ever play beautiful joe or no no i i've never heard of that one okay um another another capcom gem i would say as far as 3d platformers was okami did you ever play okami okami i'm looking it up okay Oh, you're also looking up Beautiful Joe, right? I was. Yeah. Okay, I did play Okami. I remember that that pretty dog. Yeah, yeah. I would call that a platformer too because there's a lot of, you're going from place to place. There there were a lot of platforming elements. Yeah. Um, Beautiful and, Joe. Yeah. Interesting. V-I-E-W-T-I-F-U-L Joe. No, I never played that. Interesting. It had a very unique look to it. Yeah, looks like it. Yeah, and actually, the guy who did the style of that, there is a game that's currently also another kind of interesting platformer called The Wonderful 101, which is sort of a spiritual successor to Beautiful Joe. You know, a lot of the same character design, really big heads, right? Very small bodies, <laughs> kind of but, bobblehead. Yeah, bobblehead looking. But it's a really interesting sort of platformer where you are the wonderful 101 Platinum Games came out with it. It was an exclusive for the Wii U. Oh. It's a really cool platformer where you can go between different characters in this group that have different types of powers that are weapon-based. Like one, you can have a whip and one has... Um, basically a sword and there are different puzzle elements that you use to manipulate these things originally just for the Wii U it came out for the PlayStation 4 and so there's a version of it on the PlayStation 4 which doesn't translate a hundred percent to you know because it was designed for the Wii U but it's definitely something worth checking out oh yeah absolutely any other favorites well okay the last favorite I wanted to mention the last favorite <laughs> is um, <laughs> there was a game that came out on the PlayStation 2 uh, back in the day, a company called Vanillaware. This game called Odin Sphere. 
Odin Sphere. Yeah. Um, Odin Sphere came out for the PlayStation 2 back in um, 2007. It had these beautifully painted looking backgrounds drawn almost, right? Um, And this game, Odin Sphere, was kind of ahead of its time. The scope of the game sort of stretched beyond what, you know, what what the hardware was capable of at the time. I see. So I never played it all the way through on the original systems because there were a lot of things that interrupted the game flow. You, in order to do certain moves for you, you basically had five different characters, and you played through all these different characters' stories. It was sort of a storybook kind of thing where all of the different characters' stories wove together in in in, in such a really cool, articulate kind of way. But you had to play through each one's story separately, and each character had a different kind of set of action moves, completely different move sets, nothing that really kind of combined with each other, but they played through the same levels just at different points in time. Oh, cool. So it was like being told a story from a perspective of a character five different times because you had five different characters. Right. Um, so each one adds a different element to the story. Adds, yeah. adds another layer to the story that's like, oh, okay, and reveals things about the other story. Well, it was such a great game, but I never got through it because of all the different, like you would build up different moves and the system itself kind of determined which moves that you selected. Vanillaware had made uh, a couple of other games, a big side scroll and beat 'em up kind of 3D sort of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game prior to that that was called Dragon's Crown, which was great on mm-hmm. the previous gen systems. And they had this game that was under development under the code word Lifrasir, L E I F T H R A S I R, Lifrasir. It's Odin Sphere Lithrasir. Building on how beautiful and how wonderful the concept was, it is, you, you can call it a remaster, but it is what I expect from a remaster of a game. You could play through it like the original PlayStation 2 with the original graphics, so on and so forth. Or you can play through it with the new stuff. Basically, they made changes to the way the dynamics work to make it flow more because now we've got a more powerful system. You could do a lot of selecting items and selecting potions and selecting moves on the fly where you couldn't before. And it added additional story elements, just not not anything major, but to kind of give you sort of a more robust end game that they couldn't give you in the PlayStation 2 version because of the limitations. Interesting, okay. But if you have a chance to check it out, or if it's on sale... Absolutely. Um, Odin Sphere, Lifrasir, beautiful looking artwork. I played a game from them called 13 Sentinels recently. Also beautiful artwork, which turned out to be a tower defense game, which is kind of weird. And 13 different characters, which is a little extreme. Yeah. (laughs) But the five characters seems like the perfect balance. And telling the story, I would say it's my favorite RPG slash platformer slash genre bending side scrolling action game, maybe on the system at large, like of all times, like on on the PS4. It's definitely worth checking out. It's like probably 
the gold standard of my <laughs> platform games that I've played. I Excellent. just love it. It's great. So check it out. I don't think it's on the Switch. I think it's only no. available on the PlayStation 4. But if you like story and you like side-scrolling action, yeah, it's definitely up your alley. You find different pieces of things to give to a cook. <laughs> that <laughs> how you build your experience is not through doing stuff. It's through eating food. Right. <laughs> which seems very realistic to me. Yeah. Check it out. I think you would enjoy it. So any closing thoughts on... Platforms, platformers, favorite platformers. What do you want to see from platformers? What a dynamic word it is, like meaning so many different things. As far as platformer games, I don't play a whole lot of them. I really hope that they continue to grow as a genre in the future. More games, not even like inside, because I do like puzzle games, but I'd like to see more beautiful platform games um and not just being retro yeah i think a lot of platform games kind of embrace that retro look to it you know you know what i mean i want to see great platformers that embrace the new technology and don't fall back on it doesn't have to be retro to be a good platformer. Right. That's, that's my thought. We can move into the future. We can move into the future. That doesn't necessarily mean 3D either. Right. right? It can be a 2D that ex- expands or does things like, I thought Paper Mario did a wonderful job of kind of blending that kind of interesting sort of 2D, 3D sort of thing. Right. Did you ever get into Paper Mario? I did not. Um, well... Check it out, kid. (laughs) Platformers. We could talk about them forever. Literally all night. But the cats are not having any of that. They're getting bored. Mango's attacking you, too. And Mango's attacking me. So I think it's time to wrap it up. Okay, it's time to wrap it up. And on that note, I'm Ben. And I'm Cheyenne. And we've been your hosts. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.